Do you think an AI will ever uh, be elected to office? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, like, not as a joke, like as a real. Yeah. Like, like one could get. Well, it might be a today. joke, but like actually yeah. happening. No, that could happen now. Like, I think I think that's uh, like the question is. Um, I think if you, it, it certainly could, and people wouldn't know that it was one. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, there's a lot of politicians that I've had the opportunity to vote for that I never saw in person, and if it was deep fakes and scripts and and generally generated conversations, like there's not a lot stopping that from happening today. It could have already uh, happened. Exactly. I mean, I, I think know. that there's some some major concerns uh, on the, on the deep fake side and on the both on the, the audio and video side. Um, so I, it's it's in the cards. Yeah. Uh, it really is. Um, I I I, uh, I hope not, but. Uh, um, although it, it might do a better job than some of them. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's that too. In, in theory, right? <laughs> yeah, in theory, I think it could do a fantastic job. Welcome to this episode of Austinpreneur for our conversation about the cybersecurity implications of artificial intelligence and machine learning. We're joined by our special guest, Christopher Sestito, the CEO of Hidden Layer. Chris is an expert in cybersecurity threat research, detection, and response. He spent over five years doing threat research at Silence, where he encountered a new type of attack called an adversarial machine learning attack. Chris founded Hidden Layer to help enterprises prevent these new attacks, and the company announced a $50 million round of funding earlier this year in September. His investors include Microsoft, Booz Allen, IBM, and Capital Factory. The conversation was recorded live for a studio audience at Austin Startup Week. Welcome to Austinpreneur, our show about the stories that made Austin, Texas a global hub for startups. The show is produced by Capital Factory and hosted by me, Nick Spiller. As a reminder, by joining Capital Factory, you can plug into the ecosystem where the stories on the show were set. Learn more about us at CapitalFactory.com. Hello, entrepreneurs and everyone who loves them. Thanks for listening to this startup-focused podcast, and if you want even more amazing startup content, then make plans to attend South by Southwest 24, which runs March 8th through 15th here in Austin, Texas. Much of the amazing startup content occurs in the appropriately named Startup Track, which runs Saturday, March 9th through Monday, March 11th. Another can't-miss experience is a South by Southwest pitch competition, which brings together 60 of the world's top startups on Saturday, March 9th and Sunday, March 10th. Be at the Startup Track, South by Southwest Pitch, or any of the thousands and thousands of other events that make March Magic in Austin so special, South by Southwest is one of the planet's top destinations to discover new ideas, new business models, new markets, new innovators, and new talent, as well as make some incredible new connections. Always find the most information about South by Southwest at www.sxsw.com. Chris, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. It's really, really exciting. It's good to have you. We're, yep. we're, I mean, I feel like we've got a lot of ground to cover here. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this AI thing seems to be topic of discussion. I've heard of it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know you have, but now all of us have. <laughs> right. You probably heard of it a lot lo- longer before we started <laughs> chit-chatting about it on the podcast and all that, but excited to have you here. Um, and I, I'd love to maybe just start, you know, your background. How did you get into security, AI, and yeah, you know, yeah. the space you're, you're in today? All right, very, very cool. Yeah. No, I, uh, I came up as a reverse engineer. So um, I worked for a, a small company out in, uh, in DC. And uh, my job, uh, in, in starting in the cyber side, 
Uh, I've done every terrible job in the world before that, but, but uh, <laughs> um, I, I was a uh, reverse engineer, so essentially I would take in new threats that came in through uh, government networks. I would break them apart, and then I would tell them who I thought was responsible for it. I, it just, we call it attribution. So essentially, like, you know, I think this is from a state actor. I think this is from a known attack group, uh, that kind of thing. And, and this is back in the very early 2000s. Uh, and so back then, a lot of like Syrian Electronic Army, a lot of uh, like state actors on that side of things. And, I uh, most of what I had to deal with um, was them starting to purport to be each other. So you would have, you know, um, maybe like a um, one part of the world attack group uh, trying to look like another part of the world, and 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 so um, I started learning that we needed uh, essentially like more advanced tooling to be able to do things like make predictions of who was responsible as well as with helping things like we call deobfuscation. So like, you know, they're using cryptography and all kinds of weird things to hide the threats. So uh, machine learning actually ended up being sort of the, the best tool that was on the planet at the time and, and still is uh, to go through some of those problems. And then um, I really started getting interested in data science and machine learning um, in particular against cybersecurity problems because it's a man-made science, right? So, um, so the, the, you can actually have a data set that's fully representative of the problem space that you're trying to work in and solve. And you don't get that in like, you know, chemistry, biology, or like, you know, you only have what we were able to digitize or, or uh, even be aware of in, in some cases. And so, um, so I started getting really interested there. I started building models to do those kinds of things, predict who, who it was from. Um, and then <clears throat> that took me to um, a company called Silence, uh, yeah. which is, um, uh, they were using machine learning models uh, as the primary uh, solution for identifying threats. And, right. And I, I believe at Silence you encountered what yeah. an adversarial machine learning That's attack. Right. That's and, right. And let, let's talk about that. That was yeah. a pretty defining moment for you, as I understand. It, very, it was the inspiration for what we do now, right? And so... Um, yeah, absolutely. So Silence, it was a, um, just like many antivirus companies, but in, instead of, for, for a very, very long time, antivirus was just lists of bad things. And it would, you would just check your machine to see if anything on that list existed. And so threat actors caught onto this and said, okay, well, we don't really have to make more sophisticated threats. We just have to make newer threats faster so that they wouldn't be on those lists and then they wouldn't be detected. And so Silence was an offshoot of McAfee. And the, and the idea was, um, okay, now let's use machine learning to make a prediction of whether something we had never seen before was benign or malicious, and it turned out to be incredibly accurate. Uh, and so what that meant was we could now stop threats we had never seen before. And so um, that was very, very powerful. The company did very well. And, um, and I bring all that up because in 2019, the machine learning model that was part of our Windows product was attacked, and not with a traditional cybersecurity attack. It was actually hit with an, as you said, adversarial machine learning attack. And what that means is, um, you know, we wanted our customers to interact with the model. We wanted them to submit samples to it and see what came out the other end. Uh, but that means a threat actor can too. And so through our own product, threat actors were actually able to reverse our model. Uh, they were able to understand all the variables it considered or what in the data science world we call features. Uh, they were able to understand the, those features' importance, so how important the model, model considered each of those features in its decision. Uh, they were able to understand where it was making really confident decisions, where it was making very weak decisions. Uh, and then ultimately, they were able to steal the entire model in, in itself. They, they call it a surrogate model attack these days, but they were able to actually build the model offline. And then they conducted attacks on the model offline where we couldn't see it until they found attacks that would definitely work and then brought them online and conducted them. And so uh, it was enormously consequential. We, um, you know, it was a, that was a roughly $2 billion exited company and um, about 95% of the revenue came through that model itself. And so it was rendered useless overnight. And, and so myself and, and my buddies, Jim and Tanner, who are now my co-founders uh, at Hidden Layer, we were responsible for the, 
uh, for the response. And so to actually, you know, we, we had to build some guardrails in. We never really solved the problem. We just knew it was an enormous issue. We, and we built some speed bumps, essentially. Um, but that's really what woke us up to really how incredibly vulnerable artificial intelligence is as a technology. Um, we learned that it was vulnerable at a code level. We learned it was vulnerable at, at an interaction level, at inference time, as we call it. Uh, now it's vulnerable at the LLM and networking level, where you see, like, you know, generative solutions. And we're tracking some state actors that are trying to poison data sets so that these LLM tool and, and code generative tools learn to write vulnerable code as, as they're going. And so um, it's like a brand new world of, of threats. Wow, it's it's pretty hard to even just wrap my, my head around it. It reminds me a little, it's not just like, it reminds me a little bit of like, you know, you're, you're cheating on a test, you gotta like throw some bad answers in there so That's people right. don't know that. You're like <laughs> yeah. cheating all the time, Absolutely. You know? and like yeah, you're able a, to do that to, to You almost like perfectly described one of the actual attack types that we see, which is, is really kind of like on the synthetic data side. We, right. we see exact, those, those mechanisms for sure. Right, got it. And, yeah. and so, I mean, just give us a little view inside the, the company as much as you can when yeah. this is going down. Like you guys yeah, it, it was wild. I mean, it was like I said, that was that was our that was our sort of, you know, our cash cow in, inside the company. And so, um, you know, we spent a lot. We spent tens of millions of dollars on this response. Right. Yeah. And we so we spent about 40 million dollars total inside of about four months. We had to get all of our best people. There was about a thousand people at the company. Uh, we had to get all of our best people working on this problem. And we were doing everything we could. We were like, can we redeploy an older model in the meantime? So we can, you know, which meant we were rolling back all of our research and development of the model just to just to go back to the prior version um, and and you know we were building you know other sort of tangential security measures to try and get in there because you know nobody was an adversarial machine learning expert at the time and, and very few are even still today uh, but we were you know just trying to get as creative as we could in deploying it and, and, and as I mentioned we we got some guardrails in there but we never truly you know really I would say 100% fixed that problem and, and you know I've I've, I've been gone. You know, they could have by today. I don't. I don't know. But uh, but uh, I left in, in 2020. But um, but yeah, it was it was just uh, as far as like the entire product team, the entire research and development team, the entire threat research team. We were all hands on this. Do, do so. you remember when you first learned about the attack and what, what went through your? What was your reaction? It was um, yes, I do. I remember it very vividly. And and so uh, and I remember the three days afterwards because we never left the office. We 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 uh, and it was here. It was uh, it was right in the domain. It was uh, we we had the silence office here. And so, uh, me and my team, it was sort of like a um, you know a war room type of response effort. And we were, uh, you know, me, Jim, and Tanner probably collectively slept five hours over like three days. And it was just. Uh, it was extreme. We were trying to go back and forth. We started doing a lot of forensics back into like looking for like, are there, there ended up being seven total attackers uh, over a certain amount of time. And like that took all that, that sort of effort to even find out. Um, and some of them were coordinating with each other. Some of them were completely independent. Um, and so it was, it was really, um, it, it was sort of like, you don't know what you don't know, but you know, something terribly is, is going on. And you know that, um, you know, again, there's a lot of jobs and a lot of VC dollars and a lot of, uh, of other sort of things in, in the mix here. And, and so, um, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was extreme. It was, not, you're in battle you know, yeah. on a new yeah. battlefield, but absolutely battle none, nonetheless, that's a great way to describe it. It was, it was, you know, it was, it was back and forth the whole time. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was very intense. Yeah. yeah. And, and this led to hidden layer. Yeah. It's like, like I said, when, when we were, when we found out really like, oh man, this is a incredibly vulnerable technology. Um, we need dedicated security for artificial intelligence. And so that, that led to hidden layer and, and we wanted to build it immediately, like immediately after all <laughs> that happened. But then, you know, we, we talked to people who were a lot smarter than us on the business side and, and said, um, you know, hey, I don't know if the world cares about AI yet. Really, mm. you know, I mean, I think it was, it was it, it, there. There, had, and cyber was certainly just as responsible as many. Where 
Um, you know, there was this sort of thought of like it was kind of more of a marketing, you know, sort of uh, tool. I mean, it was it was real. It was being used to solve awesome problems, but a lot of customers weren't really all that into it. They were kind of like, okay, well, what am I getting? The you know, enterprise that, hadn't quite exactly into it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you know, we said we don't really know that the timing is right for a dedicated solution for this. So we had been developing it like since then, but we didn't think it was the right time to go to market. Mm. And we're feeling great about that decision now, but that was very hard to do back right, then because it was like yeah. you know you would see these problems like oh man we could have we could have helped there and and you know but uh, um, you know there really wasn't um, a way for for the majority of the world to sort of experience AI because it, it took it took so much complexity to even be able to build a model or interact with a, a tool like that and um, and then you know we have uh, ChatGPT to to kind of thank for right. for a lot of our um, timing uh, because we came out uh, early in uh, 2022. Yep. And then six months later, ChatGPT deploys, and all of a sudden, people realized how real this technology was because you could interact with it so easily. And so, um, the technology existed for a long time, but right. but that that sort of extra step of now everyone can see and use and, and take advantage of it um, really kind of woke up the business world. The idea stuck. You yeah, know, it's, exactly. It's in exactly. a big, big way, and it's it's almost it's profound how society really changes based on this, the, what we're thinking. Exactly. You know, and you oh, can yeah. have all this technology in the world, but if people don't mm -hmm. accept it, don't incorporate it into their yep. philosophies, yeah, you know, yep. what, what is it going to do? The, the but, medium is almost as important as the technology right, itself, right? Like right. if it's not convenient, if it's not accessible, right. yeah. um, you know, it's just, it, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I guess it must have been about the time ChatGPT was taken off when we made our first investment. That's right. Hidden Layer. Yep. Uh, how, you know, yeah, and you've been able to raise a considerable amount of cash, especially mm -hmm. in a time when people are talking about how hard it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, let's touch on that real quick. Like, tell us a bit about your fundraising journey and yeah. any, any tips you might have for, for those trying to follow in your footsteps. Happy to. Yeah, happy to. So we've been very fortunate. We, we've, uh, and, you know, as uh, Melissa just mentioned beforehand, it's, it's, it's difficult, right? It's not, I mean, there's no, there's no easy version, but... Um, for, for me and in, in my journey, um, you know, I was a little bit, uh, I couldn't spell VC before it started, right? Like, so I, I was like very um, new to this world. Don't try to entrepreneurship then. Right, no, 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 yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not gonna happen. Uh, but uh, like it was, I didn't know the difference in investors. I didn't mm -hmm. know how this process worked. So, you know, I immediately was like reading books and, and trying to figure out and talking to some folks that I knew from the industry. Cause I'd always been, and, and Jim and Tanner are the same, my co-founders are the same, all, always on the technical side. And so, um, like, we had good friends that were that were in other parts of the business that we were kind of chatting with, and um, and so you know read read some books, and and then um, you know I was I was talking to anybody who would talk to me, um, and I kept really diligent notes on and 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 tracking of everything. So so for the seed round, I talked to about 180 VC companies, um, and and I have to say, uh, COVID worked in my favor because a lot of those meetings would have been expected to have been in person before mm -hmm. that, um, but I could do you know four or five Europe meetings in the morning eight or nine U.S. meetings during the day and then two or three Asian meetings at night with a lot of the VCs there. And so I could not have done that if everybody wasn't, you know, working from home at the time. And right. so so we, we used that to our advantage, um, learned a lot raising the seed. And so, um, you know, we learned a lot about not everybody's out to help you. A lot of people are, you know, sitting next to some incubation groups that are waiting to hear a good idea. And that's what they're out there farming for with those solutions. So you have to kind of be a little bit of a poker player while you're, while you're doing this too. You want to give enough information away to... Uh, to entice them, but not so much that they can replicate it without you, and and that's that's sort of a an interesting kind of piece. Luckily, we had done a lot on the IP side ahead of time because we were working on it so long that we were already filing for patents yeah. and that kind of thing, which was which was useful. But that doesn't stop anybody else from trying to you know replicate it as well. And, right, you got uh, lawyers enforcing exactly. Yeah, it, so that, that was a big part of it. You don't want to get into that if you don't have to. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. And so so you you know we um, so that that was the seed. I was learning a lot of the a lot of the way, and that's what that's when we met uh, as well. And 
and you guys came in and we raised a six million dollar seed which was which was awesome um that was uh back in um we closed it july of of, of 22 uh and then so, I mean, this is the timing thinking of that because i feel like it really yeah. chat gpt hadn't really gone viral yet at that not point. really I feel like it was like q4 yeah. of pretty pretty last year's when it yeah really exactly it, it really hit that that incredible slope uh towards the end of the year yeah, but yeah it had been it had been announced like people kind of knew like OpenAI was up to something um we knew it too because that's one of the reasons we were like maybe we should get going yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That, that that's coming too and so um but yeah there was there was a lot of other sort of um other reasons that we knew artificial intelligence was was really becoming more of like a household item, and uh, certainly on the enterprise side, um, you know. The, now ChatGPT opened it up a lot on the consumer side for sure, and on the investor side, and, and, and some of that as well. But uh, yeah, so that that was um, you know we, we thought we were going to be coming into the market and, and educating. We thought we were going to spend you know a couple of years telling everybody this is an enormous problem, um, you know. But uh, but what ended up happening is with ChatGPT and other other sort of uh, real-world issues alongside artificial intelligence, both on the cyber side and on the responsibility side in general, like with dealing with bias issues, dealing with uh, some others, um, it yeah. really accelerated things. And so um, we we ended up moving a lot faster than we expected. Um, we got up to like 25 employees, and I had to raise again. Um, and so that was uh, that, that just ended now. Um, and we, just, we raised a $50 million Series A um, led by Microsoft. Uh, IBM, Booz Allen Hamilton, uh, more investments, uh, and then also 1011, who led our seed round again. And so um, that was, uh, um, so it, you know, I, I learned that a lot of a CEO job was a full-time fundraiser. Sounds which I, like it. Yeah, I wasn't uh, super uh, like signing up for that out of the gate, but it turns out it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you want. You kind of have to do it. But, uh, but yeah, that was a piece. And then, then I was a little bit more aware of, of kind of the system, how it worked, who the right people were. Right. You've got... Yeah some big investors on your team yeah. have, you know, their, their own, you know, tools and tactics exactly. they can use to support yeah. you. And their own networks and, as well. Right. And, you know, that, that kind you of know, thing. Microsoft obviously is a major player yeah. in, in all of this. I mean, led your round and, That's right. um, yeah, but you, you, uh, reinforce one point I share with entrepreneurs there. I just call it out as a, cool. I've, uh, you, you hear often entrepreneurs that had to talk to hundred, 130 investors to, yeah. to raise their first round. I've never once heard of an, a founder that talked to 100 investors and didn't raise money. And that's a good point. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a really good point. Not yeah. that you know you should just gut it out and get to 100 <laughs> and that you'll, you'll <laughs> right, raise. Right, yeah. um, but I think a lot of it is the persistence and the willing to Definitely. you know smile and dial and you know have a lot of these conversations and have a lot of them probably go nowhere or you know oh, like, yeah almost all almost all yeah, of them go nowhere. Most of them are six, seven, eight meetings, right? Like right. And, and you, I mean, you're. Yeah, you're absolutely right. A lot of them, uh, many many of them never intended to do anything with you right from the get-go, whether it was to collect data. Yeah. I mean, some of them have, you know, groups doing that. Some of them are there to, you know, just for, just for their own understanding of how many organizations are in certain spaces and that kind of thing. You start learning, like, am I talking to a partner? Or am I talking to somebody that they, you know, are hiring to, to pull down, um, you know, uh, my own data, these types of things. And so... Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. But I think that that's actually great advice. I mean, I think if you there's a lot of different investors out there and that care about different things. Right. And so I think that there's, you know, just there's there's a lot to say about getting in front of as many as you can. Yeah. It's a needle in the haystack business on mm -hmm. both sides, right? Yeah. It's like for yeah. VCs, it's like, you know, you're there looking for that one special yeah. something and then same thing, you got to like kind of cross cross paths totally. and make it happen. Yeah. So you mentioned one of your your, your partners mm -hmm. in the round is IBM. That's right. Who yeah. just uh, this week announced a mm -hmm. $500 million enterprise AI fund. That's right. I believe you were even part of the press release or something. Yeah, we were the first investment out of it. You were yeah. the yeah. first yeah. investment mm -hmm. out of the fund. That's right. Congratulations yeah. Thank you. On, on that. And Thank you. It's yeah. great. IBM is one of our longtime corporate partners That's here right. at Capital Factory. And, yeah. And, uh, 
It's good. So can, what, what can you tell us about that fund and working mm-hmm. with IBM? And, yeah, that, well, so they're fantastic. And they, they were kind of the first ones in the AI game with Watson back in the day. Right. And so they... they uh, the they, Jeopardy thing they That's did, right. right. Yeah, yeah. They, they kicked a lot of that off. And then... Um, there, it had a lot of problems because we didn't, number one, we didn't have, as with most things with, with uh, AI, we didn't have the hardware to support it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and we did like the, if you just think about the advancements in like GPUs over the last decade, like they didn't have any of that when they were trying to go this route. And so they were working with like, you know, criminally small da- data sets by today's standards. Mm. And so, um, you know, it, it was very easy to poison. It was very easy to influence. And they had some problems with that as well. Yep. Microsoft had Tabot back then. There, there were some other issues where, you know, it just started reflecting the worst parts of society and then it got shut down. And so, um, you know, they, they kind of took a break on it for a while, and now they want to hit the gas again, and they want to get back into the, you know, the pole position on the AI side uh, alongside, like, OpenAI, Microsoft, you know, some of those uh, um, organizations that are anthropic and, and others that are kind of getting into the space. Hugging Face was also in there, and Hugging Face had an investment out of that, out of that fund as well. Um, and so, yeah, they, I mean, they did a $500 million round dedicated specifically to AI. And so... Um, you know, it's exciting. They're, they're also developing LLMs uh, internally, and they want to invest in some some groups to support that. And I think they're doing a very smart thing, which is, you know, if I had a if I had a fund to right now, it would be investing in uh, in infrastructure to support AI. I wouldn't go head to head with like OpenAI or, or Microsoft or, or Google, um, but I would be I would be investing in things that supported all artificial intelligence in a democratized way because you know it's the old adage of you want to be selling the shovels, right? I mean right. That, that's uh, I think at the moment um, that's got the most room to grow. That's where it's at. Yeah, yeah. yeah and how do you intend to? leverage these partnerships beyond the capital what does that look like yeah that's that's one of the coolest things about it so we, we really only had one um you know financial investor uh in the um in the uh in the round the rest were strategic investors and so um you know we're a really young company to be kind of dealing with some of these these scaled issues and so we like booz allen's a fantastic another partner here and um yep. th- yeah they're they're a fantastic mm-hmm. partnership there as well because one of the things I kind of thought out of the gate was this would be like 80-20 commercial uh, federal, and that wasn't true at all. Like there was a ton of in, of interest on the the federal side, the DoD side, the um, you know the intelligence community, uh, because they have critical models, right? And and so right. they you know they want to secure it in, in a lot of different ways. And we, we also secure models in a very different way from uh, from some others that have kind of been in the space on the academic side. And I don't want to get into all the boring stuff, but um, <laughs> but essentially it's a. Uh, um, there had been adversarial white papers talking about securing models um, back up until like 2012. Um, and that was kind of really, really when the thought of adversarial machine learning started being adjusted. And so the immediate thought process or the thought process on how to secure a model from a data scientist perspective was like, let's make it more robust and complex and let's inject a bunch of noise into it and not let the, the attacker know what's real and what's fake. And, um, and that was a good first start. Um, and there's some companies that were kind of engaging in that, uh, but we didn't like that approach. We said like, you know, let's treat them like endpoints. Let's protect it like cyber has protected assets for the last 30 years. And so, and that's why, you know, we created a solution that allows us to secure these models without having to look inside them and without having to see any of the raw data passing through them. And that's really of interest to the government right now. And so we can secure their models without knowing what they're doing. And we don't, we don't care. It's not our business, but, um, but we can secure the model that is passing through. And so uh, I say all that because like, you know, how are they going to be involved? Like booze helps us out quite a bit in, uh, in dealing with some of those groups. Cause we have, you know, we just got our sock too. We just got like a lot of the, the basic level, you know, things that you would what, expect. What is the sock? Uh, so it's a, it's like the first level of, um, of, uh, of, uh, like policy, a stamp of approval to say that you're going through like you know certain um, 
uh, uh, I forget what it stands for, SOC 2, but it's a... Uh, um, security protocol. Yeah, cards. yeah. It, it's like you know, you're 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 going through all the the appropriate steps to be able to um, to do business. Every Systems major company. Systems and organization control. That, okay, that that's what it is. Yeah. So the SOC two type two is, is means like you've been able to basically keep it together for six months while we've been watching you. Got and it. then um, and then that we tell everybody else that you did that. And so because they they audit you for a six month period. Got it. And then um, but that's like table stakes. So if you're like hey. Bank of America, I want to help you. They're like, okay, where's your SOC two? Yeah. And so, but it's and that's that's just the beginning. Then you have yeah. to get into PCI, HIPAA, whatever, whatever, whatever kind of area you're going into. But um, so we just got that, which is like, you know, if you're like, hey, CIA, I want to help you out. They're like, great. Where's the other ten things we require? <laughs> so, um, so you know, we need, so you uh, need so to good go partners. Execute yeah. on these certifications totally. and these. They're, yeah. they're the pros. They do this stuff for other absolutely. And, and just generally, we can use some of their systems to help us. Yeah. So like, we can take yeah. our technology, put it inside their environments, yeah. and they can bring it up to. Yeah. You know some of their customers that we yeah. want to work with as well. So, and that's the the Boo side. And then with IBM, we're working with them on Watson X, which is their new model side with uh, with Microsoft and the OpenAI relationship. We're help, we're able to help secure some of those. Uh, and then um, you know just uh, um, Capital One. Sorry, I should have mentioned them as well. They were an investor, and so we help them on the uh, um, uh, securing. The, they're very AI leaning for for a financial institution, and so. Um, we're helping secure them on like fraud detection models, algorithmic trading models. Like so, there's so many different financial models that right. um, that you know a financial institution um, uh, uses. So uh, we have a lot of work just with our investors as customers. So I believe on October 30th, President Biden issued executive order on right. safe, secure, trustworthy AI. That's right. What, what do you see? The implications of that executive order being it's a, it's a it's a really important step for a bunch of reasons. Um, so for a while, um, on, a, on a global stage, we were sort of seen we, we being the United States was sort of seen as like not doing anything. And uh, then you had uh, like if there is such like a spectrum of, of response here, you had the EU, which was kind of seen as like going way too far on the uh, on the regulation sure. side because yeah. it's a it's a you know you want to be careful, right? Like there's um, if you go too far, you're going to stifle. Uh, all of your innovation. You're gonna you're gonna block people from trying things. You're gonna disincentivize people from from starting companies. All the Big things associated with that. Like, totally. And then some of the people we're trying to compete against at a global stage aren't really concerned with with uh, you know fair fairness and uh, and responsible AI and, and and all these things. And so yeah. I mean, there's a really great book by uh, by the one of the original um, chief data scientists at Google who was a Chinese immigrant to the United States and sort of said like you know we're competing against people who aren't going to play by the same rules. And so um, that's a major concern for the government as well. So you got to you got to strike the right balance. You don't want to go crazy. Um, you know, there's a lot of doom and gloomers out there about like how AI can take over the world. But in reality, the biggest threat to AI by far is people right. and, and the people who are right. going to misuse it or deploy it irresponsibly. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot to go alongside that. So I, I really applaud um, the uh, um, the uh, the government for deploying a lot of this. Um, it's going to mean a lot of different things for, for those who are trying to leverage it. It's, it's great, like, tailwinds for a company like ours, where, where organizations start seeing, okay, we can't just deploy whatever we want. Um, and I, I, my, one of my kind of mantras that I talk about quite a bit is, like, we should be holding artificial intelligence to the same standards we hold traditional technologies, no more, no less. Like, right. we, that we, the same level of, of what we scrutinize, the same expectations we have on other decision-making engines, that should all exist for artificial intelligence. But if we start going overboard because we're afraid of it or don't understand it or something along those lines, we could really slow down some some innovation. And so um, we need to hit that. And, and so I, I'm happy about it. Generally, it was a pretty general executive order so far. Sure. Um, and so there's a lot to come out of it that it'll, it'll sort of self-build based on a lot of the, the, the calls to action that, that came out of it. And so we'll start seeing a lot more in terms of like a lot of questions that are still in the air. Like for example, if, if you train a model, and somebody says, I want to know if you trained that model on any of my data, 
whose job is that? Like, do you, do you, is the burden on the, the trainer of the model to say, you know, you send me, you send me a piece of data and I tell you whether it was used to train in this model or uh, is that none of your business? Or, you know, some of these models are trained on the entire internet. Is it on the, the person not to put it out there? We have to figure a lot of that out. And mm. so um, this, this executive order was the first step in the right direction. And so you're, you're off to a good start. Mm-hmm. You got a fresh 50. Yeah, like, yeah. There's plenty of time to screw it up. But yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm sure it's gonna yeah. take take more. And, uh, you know what? What comes next? Like, what what do you? What's on the horizon for you, both yeah. from a hidden layer standpoint, but also the macro AI yeah, yeah. machine learning space. So with hidden layer, we you know we want to be like a, a um a full platform to secure artificial intelligence, right? And I, and I say that because. Um, Generally speaking, like CISOs and organizations are already fed up with the fact they have to work with 30 vendors today already, so they don't want to invite 10 more to deal with different parts of their artificial intelligence security. So we want to be able to, to, to protect it end to end. So one of the things that we're doing that everyone told us not to is, uh, is, is going pretty broad. Um, we're actually working on four products at once. Um, which is generally speaking, most of the you know the traditional wisdom on the startup side would say like get one thing out there, do it right, sell it, then move on and move yeah. on and move on. But we really want to take advantage of how much we were able to raise and try and be a holistic offering here. And so um, we, we're working on four different products, and I'll sort of briefly describe them. We're, we're working on what we call Model Scanner, uh, which you can think of as antivirus for models. Uh, models, if you think about like a like a Windows executable file today. Um, you have to sign them. There's very strict permissions of what kind of code you can read from, write from, uh, execute from, or sorry, write to and execute from. Uh, there's really, um, you, you have to list what code you're importing if you're importing libraries. There's security information, version information, all kinds of infrastructure that's in, involved in all that. Models, none of that exists. Not, and models are code too, but none of that exists in, in the requirement for models. So uh, what that means is threat actors can put whatever they want anywhere. Uh, they can hide malware in weights of models, which we've seen. They can uh, they can abuse model file types, all sorts of things like that. So your current antivirus solution isn't even parsing model files. They don't even know what to look into. It would be like a like a Windows product trying to look at a Mac file. They just can't do it, yeah. right? So so we created a solution that could. So we, we built a, um, a what we call our model scanner, and you can think of it as like an antivirus solution for machine learning models. Um, and that's at the code level. Then we created, um, if you're familiar with cybersecurity, there's a category called or called endpoint detection and response (EDR). Um, and so we took that and we applied it to machine learning. So we have a product called MLDR, Machine Learning Detection and Response. Mm. And this is if you have a model that's deployed in your product or in the web or any you know, hardware or software solution and a threat actor starts interacting with it for nefarious purposes, we will behaviorally catch that. So we're watching how people are interacting with your model. And so we do things like identify you know, who's acting just anomalously, who's exploring your entire feature space to try and map it, who even could steal your model if they wanted to, who's spending too much time in low confidence decision spaces of your model because that's a strong indication of attack, things like that. So that's, that's the real-time protection capability. Um, now everybody's using LLMs, right? So we, we wanted to create a solution for hosted models. Like if you're, if you're interacting with an API from OpenAI or, or Anthropic or um, any of these other solutions, um, we want to look at prompts and responses. We want to make sure you're not losing data out of your responses. And then also we want to look at prompt attacks. And there's some really interesting and very successful prompt attacks going on right now. Um, like ChatGPT, some of these other solutions, they'll analyze the prompt itself. But there's a lot of, of things going on, like I'm going to go edit a wiki page with malicious code, and I'm going to tell in my input is say is going to say, hey, you know, ChatGPT, go to this page in 20 minutes and read this. And at the time that it, you said all this, there was nothing bad up there. But then I went and edited it and, mm-hmm. and included something bad in these going. So we, we identify all that kind of stuff. And then lastly, we have a solution that's just a discoverability solution. I started showing security teams how scary all this stuff can be, and they were like, well, that's crazy. Where are all our models? 
but with all the democratization that's been going on right now, you can just go to Hug and Face and download them all. Hmm. And so there's developers who are just downloading models to do their job better, as they should. That's a great tool. Right. Um, but then what that creates is all these vulnerabilities I'm talking about now exist in areas that the security teams aren't aware of. So we just point it at an environment, like a cloud environment or whatever, and say, here's where all your models are, here's what they are, that kind of thing. So anyway, to answer your question, um, we really want to grow out a suite of like a one-stop shop for an organization. We want to say, it, it, you know, yeah, that's fascinating description uh, or, mm -hmm. or description, but, but, but like decision. That's right. what I meant to say. It's, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Should, oh, it's should, broad we, should side, we go yeah. to market with one product, right? I yeah. am. I'm part of the startup community that says, hey, build a, you know, sharpen the blade yeah, before yeah. building the Swiss Army knife. Absolutely. You know, what, what, how, what's your calculation on going going wide? What, what really led you to that? Yeah, we, we wanted to be able to go in front of a customer. So, and I guess the, the, the fundamental reason is because we're, we're trying to get customers to engage in, in, and purchase something that they don't necessarily understand and that they're generally pretty intimidated by. Yeah. Um, mo most people, when you start talking about artificial intelligence, they throw their hands in the air and they're like, I'm never going to understand this. I don't want to. Yeah. Whatever. So we really wanted to make it so we were like, look, end to end, we will take care of this area for you. We will we will take care of the code. We will take care of the behaviors. We will take care of the of the uh, LM and generative side for you. And so um, the idea is, you know, it's, it's much more of a value proposition to go to a solution. The other side to go to a customer and say and the, the other reason is. I don't believe our competition is other startups. I believe our competition is, is big security companies that are ultimately going to move into this space. And they're going to have a lot of that extra stuff to ultimately be able to say, we can holistically take care of this for you. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm uh, concerned more with some of those existing very large security companies that are going to say, oh, we can do this too. Right. And then they're going to have that whole network. And you want to tackle as much of the problem exactly. as you can for That's the right. CISO. It's this watershed moment yeah. where, you know, everyone's enterprise exactly is getting right. on AI. Yep. They're going to experience attacks. You know, maybe right. they'll predict it. You know, likely they're probably going to learn the yeah. hard way in a lot of cases. And so you yeah. want to be there with as much of absolutely. The, the, we're the, we're the establishing a moat across all of those areas yeah. now, not just one. Right. And so I think that that's our. It's aggressive, right? Yeah. Like we, we would be at market earlier with one of these products. Right. You know, right. That, that's which is what you have to be when you raise fifty million bucks. Exactly. Yeah. You you really do. And and when you're in a new category and when you're trying to lead a new category. Uh, I mean, I think you, you can't, there's no passive version of that that's going to be successful. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, question you ask about the people you bring on the team yeah. and you ask, are they a good student? Are they a good teacher? Yeah. Tell us more about that, that saying and why it's so important to, to you and Very the culture cool. at Hidden Layer. Yeah, that's, that's an important one for me. Um, I, teachers influenced my life quite heavily. Um, I still think about my third grade teacher like very often. Uh, Mrs. Kenyon, shout out to uh, you. <laughs> shout uh, out. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, she's going to be very weirded out by this. If <laughs> I don't like have a relationship with her. I just think about her a lot. Uh, but, uh, um, I'm going to so, find her and send yeah, her this exactly. that's good. She, 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 This won't be like charming for her. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I, you know, I've been influenced by that quite heavily. And so um, I think about it a lot. And I think about... Um, Really, I spent a lot of time thinking about who are the people that I liked enjoying working with. And um, I always thought that you learn the most just through asking questions. And, and, yeah. and you know, you can go to school, you can go to classes, you can go take trainings, you can do whatever you want. But generally, if you're talking with somebody who's an expert in the field and you ask them a question about it and they give you a really thoughtful answer and they're in there going back and forth with you, like that's, I think, where the best learning on the planet happens. And so then I started to think more about, like, you know, who are the, the best people I ever worked with? were those who were either really interested in, in empowering others around them uh, or and also really interested in being empowered by those around them. And um, I, ha I had some good success with building teams um, at uh, Silence and other companies. Um, I, and they were building a lot of entry-level teams. So we were, in, we were introducing people to this, uh, which you have to do oftentimes in, like, in AI-related 
you know, AI application type fields, like in our case it was cyber, but there's not usually like a big stable of people you can go to and, right. and, and hire from. So a lot of times you're, you're training people on the job and the people who are the most successful are the ones who are the most active in asking questions and learning from those around them. So um, ultimately it became a leading indicator in a lot of things. Like if you're, if you're a good student, if you're a good teacher, you're probably also empathetic. You're probably also uh, nice. You're, you're probably also somebody that, you know, somebody just wants to work with and, and, and these types of things. So, so it, it became, you know, I challenged myself to say, if I could only ask a question, what would it be? And I cheated and it's two questions, but is it, but is it, you know, are you a good student? Are you a good teacher? That's something that I ultimately, like if I can't decide on bringing someone on, because that's the area that I am the overbearing jerk CEO is, is that I, I, I am very kind of interested in who comes on the team. So I interview everybody myself. Right, yeah, I, ha right. I have to do that. We're up to about 60 people now, but, um, and there, there are CEOs who do that very well. Like for example, Sam Altman interviewed the first 4,000 with OpenAI, and I think that's really happen? important. Yeah, just I don't I mean you. Have, that's you must it have becomes an half AI your job. Sam or something. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> like there's got there's got to be something along those lines. I mean, and his was over a much longer period of time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so sometimes the team can get frustrated with me because like you know there's by the time I'm interviewing the person they've been they've been through a good amount of successful interviews and I say I don't think this person's the right fit for us and so um, but I also believe that like almost 90% of your success is decided with who you bring on. Once, once you bring them on, a lot has already been determined. Right. And so, um, you know, that's, so I think that's where you do spend the most time, the most scrutiny, that kind of thing. Yeah, it seems like it goes a long ways to creating uh, a culture where you can be intellectually honest, yeah. right? And if Absolutely. you're a good student, a good teacher, you yeah. can entertain ideas you may not agree with, ask right. questions about them, teach people why they may not be the greatest ideas. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And if you don't do that, or, or and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of ways to do it right, but if you end up cultivating an environment where people are afraid to ask questions, you're already really deep underwater. Yeah, you're, you're, you're in a bad spot. I mean, especially if you're doing you know, something that's never been done before. Yeah, absolutely. Whole new yeah, I mean, for example, like, I mean, we, we used to say at our last company, like if, if once you're on the team, we'll teach you how to turn a computer on. Like, I mean, you're here, <laughs> we're, you're, you're on the team, we're doing it. I right. mean, so that's, uh, that's really interesting because I, you know, I've been part of a lot of teams that weren't like that. And, you know, somebody learned something 20 minutes ago and wanted you to feel bad because you didn't know about it. Right. So mm -hmm. I think that there's, we really wanted to avoid that. And I think it can cause a lot of damage and it's just also not that fun to, to, you know, to do on a day to day. And, a lot of us are like 100 plus hour weeks and we, we, it should be fun. You should right. enjoy the people so you're around. Do it. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, I've enjoyed asking you questions. So Thank I'm you. Like Bobby, the yeah. podcast host. I get to ask <laughs> right questions yeah. and get people and learn. I'm learning Very a lot. Cool, and yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Hello, entrepreneurs and everyone who loves them. Thanks for listening to this Startup Focus podcast. And if you want even more amazing startup content, then make plans to attend South by Southwest 24, which runs March 8th through 15th here in Austin, Texas. Much of the amazing startup content occurs in the appropriately named Startup Track, which runs Saturday, March 9th through Monday, March 11th. Another can't-miss experience is a South by Southwest pitch competition, which brings together 60 of the world's top startups on Saturday, March 9th and Sunday, March 10th. Be at the Startup Track, South by Southwest pitch, or any of the thousands and thousands of other events that make March Magic in Austin so special, South by Southwest is one of the planet's top destinations to discover new ideas, new business models, new markets, new innovators, and new talent, as well as make some incredible new connections. Always find the most information about South by Southwest at www.sxsw.com. Any questions from the audience? Yeah, we have one. Right. My name is Maureen Rosado, and I've been in the cybersecurity space going on about two decades. Started off at IBM. Big Fix <laughs> was my um, was my brand new kitchen in my home, and moved from there. My question to you is: um, as we embrace um, 
what I consider a mind shift mm -hmm. in the cybersecurity world, yeah. uh, just going from protecting internally, now we have uh, people working from home, that's brought mm -hmm. on a lot of, of, of it's brought on a different mind shift. Absolutely. How will you now overcome the second phase of people beginning to understand this as, a, not as a mind shift completely, but something new? Because currently we have a lot of people that are uh, been in IT for, for many years yep. and are not changing. They just, right. not, and then you have this new generation coming in mm -hmm. who loves AI, who appreciates it, yeah. who can understand what's new and how and why we need to shift the way we protect our infrastructures. So my question is, how are you gonna embrace that and, <laughs> yeah. and work through that? Yeah, Thank great, you. No, Thank great you. question, Maureen. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think that um, you know, there, there's a couple ways you can go about that, right? And I think embracing is the right word, right? I think it is is with 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 uh, you know folks coming in that have a little bit of a and gen, this is a super general statement, right? Because you can find people from from any generation that have sort of any level across the spectrum of interest in artificial intelligence. But generally speaking, um, like uh, people who are earlier on in their career. Uh, have a little bit more of an appetite for for new technologies and and, and this kind of thing, but you you still need those who have got all the experience as well, and uh, and I know you know many people who are on there you know as you mentioned decades in the in the field that are also hyper interested in this space, and so um, the communication between those groups is incredibly important, and facilitating that and again creating a scenario where people aren't going aren't afraid to look stupid or or, or be chastised or chastised for for something along those lines I think is really really important. But um, you also brought up another important topic there, which is the remote work side of things, right? And so we're a fully remote company. We we embrace that like very very uh, uh, we feel, and this is you know it depends who you're listening to because a lot of people don't don't feel this way, and I certainly respect that too. But um, you know in 2023 the technology is there. We feel that it is. You can work from home. You can work from a whole bunch of different scenarios. People have different family setups, and so we're very results driven. Kind of like how are you contributing? And if you're doing that at 4 a.m. or 4 p.m., we don't care really. It's just as long as you're also participating in the in the you know opportunities to to communicate and that kind of thing. And so that's helpful for us because it also attracts a lot of people who are interested in working a different way. So they're also usually pretty interested in working in, you know, in, uh, in a new technology, that kind of thing. And so um, that's helpful as well. But I think the um, it's really also very important for us not to dictate so much and to also listen quite a bit to those who are coming in and wanting to work with us too and, and be accommodating where we can. Um, I think that, that that's helping. And, and so um, it, it helps being on kind of a cutting edge problem as well because um, people are really interested in, in, in working in it. And so, um, like, you know, we're, we're in a really good position where, you know, if we uh, need to bring on some others and, and kind of, you know, deal with some of those problems you mentioned, um, you know, it's, it's usually people with great attitudes who are at this point pretty dedicated in their career to the problem space. And so um, it's not a, it's more specialists than, than generalists in that role. So um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's something you have to focus on quite a bit. Thank you. Great question. My name is Gyan Kapoor. I'm not a VC, so I'm not trying to steal or <laughs> get, get an idea. But my background is cybersecurity. Hmm. Um, Recently, I think like the last five years, so there's so much of disruption in cybersecurity right. because of cloud, uh, digital migration, uh, digital transformation, mm -hmm. and now remote. And there are so many security companies that have, it's like 5,000 plus security companies. Right. There's a company here in Austin that keeps track of all the security company, and they do kind of do a matchmaking of all these different security companies to do a merger and acquisition. So when you are kind of entering into that crowded space, how are you distinguishing yourself from the traditional company that already have that footprint and the relationship with the existing uh, 
enterprises. It's something we had to think about quite a bit because you do want to differentiate yourself. So that's a problem for everybody in security. Security is the most fragmented market out there, right? Like the leader in cyber, I think, is Palo Alto at like, I don't know, five or six percent market share. There are a lot of players. It's, it's very, uh, generally speaking, um, uh, you know, every, everything's a knife fight because you're you're up against like 30 or so other uh, other solutions whenever you're trying to get into that. And and, um, and bringing up the migration to cloud is an important sort of analogy or two because that's probably the biggest technical shift in terms of analogy we have to today with the with the shift over to to you know whether it be generative or or traditional machine learning models. It's it's the best comparison I think we have for a brand new technology that sort of sort of revolutionizing the way we did things. And and so one of the ways that we differentiate is is just through clarity because. You're absolutely correct. Every every cybersecurity uh, organization out there has an AI platform, but we're not AI for security. We're security for AI. So we're you know they're they're securing cloud environments, endpoints, networks. We're actually securing the AI itself. So um, that and the technology there. So actually, our CRO, one of my favorite people on the planet, Abigail Maine, she's here in Austin as well, um, and she's kind of my partner in crime at the company. Um, she was like, "What's how do we say this simply?" And it's just security for AI because that, that really helps kind of clear up you know, that, that space. Because there, there is a small set of other competitors in the space. They do things pretty differently, but, um, but that's their goal too. And so I call them budget competitors because we're going after the same budget um, in, in these organizations. But everybody else is also going after like CISO attention and, and things along those lines. And every single one of them claims to be an AI company. And it's funny, I know the company you're talking about that keeps track of these things. And I don't know how, but somehow we went from an incredible shortage of data scientists and cybersecurity professionals all of a sudden to we have like 4,000 brand new data science companies that just got VC funding over the last year. And so um, people are sort of, you know, pretending a little bit to be experts in the field and, and that's still working uh, a lot. So you have to kind of differentiate yourself there. So um, the, the best one word answer to your question is clarity. If you can be as clear as possible, because uh, like when you're competing for a CISO's uh, time and attention, uh, you know, they're, they're the first ones to tell you, like, we're getting pulled in a bunch of different ways. Why do I care about this more than I care about my migration to cloud or some of these other things? So our message is like, you don't get to not care about it, right? Like this is a serious issue. It's, it's becoming, you know, it's, it's your most important IP in the company and it's under attack right now. There's over 40 automated attack tools online that'll attack a model for you. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a data scientist. You just have to kind of like the old days of Metasploits and, and some of these automated attack tools in cyber, you just can interact with the menu and attack a model now. So when we start giving them awareness there about like really how much risk there is, that helps kind of bubble us up to the top a little bit. Um, it's really hard for us right now because, I mean, we're having success, but um, but there's no established budget for this at the moment. So when we ask for someone to purchase our product, we're basically saying like, can you find money from somewhere else and then do this? That's gonna be a little easier for us in 24 because we've now had enough time to sort of help get, get involved with these companies and say, you need to set aside a little money to secure your artificial intelligence in your next budgeting cycle. Uh, but, I, but I would just say clarity. I think if you can, if you can, you and everyone on your staff can very clearly, you know, explain why you're there, what you do, what the value proposition is, you're gonna win a lot more often than, than not. If you have people on your staff that can't very clearly articulate what you do, and and uh, and as it differs from others in the space, it's going to be a challenge. Great question. Thank you. Hi, I'm uh, Kim Cook. I have worked in um, cybersecurity marketing for a few years, and um, I'm interested when you talk about um, talking to the CISOs and targeting CISOs at companies as a traditional cybersecurity company would. Mm -hmm. That's who you would sell to. What about the companies that are offering the models themselves, like the cloud-based companies, and maybe incorporating the security for the AI model in the AI model offering? Yeah, great great question, Kim. And, and we do that. So, so our technology just needs to exist where the model is. 
So if the model, and, and by the way, over 95% of models are still owned by the company. So we see a lot in, in terms of things like the, you know, the, uh, um, you know, GPT hosted models through APIs on OpenAI. That's still a pretty small amount. It's going to be huge. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's growing like crazy. But, uh, but most machine learning models are still developed inside an organization or they go through a process of pulling down a pre-trained model from something like Hugging Face, and then they further train it when they get there. So for example, if you were gonna make a facial recognition model, you would go to Hugging Face and you would download, like for example, Microsoft's ResNet model, which sort of understands things like colors and shapes, and, and then you would train it to faces and, and stuff like that too. So very little actually happens from scratch these days. So, so for us in our technology, we, we have to exist where the model is. So if it's a hosted model like OpenAI's GPT, we would work with them then and, and that organization. That's part of our partnership with Microsoft is to, is to work with some of those, those solutions. Um, but then if it's the user, then we have to ship them over to that LM proxy we have where we, they actually see the traffic going back and forth through that. Um, and I, I say CISOs because that's our biggest category, but we also work with a lot of data science leaders who want to protect their work. Um, they're interested in saying, you know, we spent a lot of time on this. We don't want somebody stealing it. Um, you know, for example, like we work with a targeted advertising company and it's, it's not Google, but for example, if you wanted to steal Google's targeted advertising model, you would start spinning up accounts. You would surf the web and you would see what ads you got served. And if you did that in an automated sense, you would have enough of a training set to then ultimately reverse that model. Um, so we would then interrupt that and, and see, identify those behaviors and move on from there. Um, but yeah, you're, we, we, we want to explore all avenues. You know, we want, we want checks from everybody. So um, you know, we definitely want to uh, identify that as well. But yeah, great, great call out. Hi, uh, my name is Ola. I work for, um, uh, I work for one of the popular tech companies. Um, and I work in security, mm. so more on the DNS side, um, okay. creating security products um, to detect all forms of um, DNS attacks, mm -hmm. exfiltration, DGA, and the likes. Yep. Um, so I, I think I missed a part of what you said. I was curious to know, how did the attackers replicate your model? Was it from an insider? Was it just brute force or what? How exactly, if you could get yeah. into the details? Yeah, absolutely, happy to. And, and, and again, I'll, I'll, uh, we can certainly do the one-on-one -on -one for the, uh, for the, for the nitty-gritty details. But essentially, they, they used uh, a technique uh, that involves reinforcement learning. And our product contained the model. So they, just by using our product and knowing what they submitted to it and knowing what it said about the, the submissions, they had all the inputs and all the outputs to that. So essentially, they were able to then use that over and over again and by submitting very, very different uh, samples to that and then very similar samples where they just change little things and see how the model responds to it, they could start isolating the features within that initial sample. So today, there's, there's attacks that, uh, that are black box attacks on models that are uh, pretty well established. Like there's hop, skip, jump attacks, gradient attacks, these types of things where, where if you only have access to the model, you can do what's called a surrogate attack where you actually build a surrogate model of that model just through interacting with it, gaining a training set out of those interactions, and then using that training set to develop the model in the framework that you believe that it is. And then you can test it. And if, if you get similar results to that model that you have black box access to, you probably got the right framework, and then you can go on from there. Um, and you, you, you can do this in a very uh, programmatic way with, with tools that will do this. Uh, as I mentioned, there's an attack called the hop, skip, jump attack, which is an incredibly efficient way of doing this um, with like online frameworks like Adversary Robustness Toolbox developed by IBM or Counterfeit developed by Microsoft and a lot of the red teaming type tools that can, uh, that can do that online. So that, that's exactly what they did. So if, if a threat actor has access to your model's in, inputs and outputs, all they need is time and transactions before they can reverse the entire thing and build a surrogate. Okay, thanks. Yeah, of course. Hi, I'm Yoon Ao, and I'm a start startup founder called uh, Nuts Technologies. 
and we do security for uh, generative AI at the endpoint. Oh, cool. Um, but my question is, um, I wanted to see if you had any visibility or any comments on the uh, recent headline I saw about Space Force mm -hmm. stopping activity on the, on the AI front until they have further um, guidance for their people. And what, mm -hmm. what caused that? What types of issues caused that? It, so it's similar to a little while ago when we saw um, you know, a request from a lot of AI developers for a six-month pause on AI innovation. Uh, it's so, and, and there's a lot of, of, of uh, positions on this. And personally, I don't agree with it. Um, and, and that reason is because nobody else is stopping. Nobody else is slowing down, right? So if you take a pause, um, there, there, is, there is a disconcern at the moment that we're going to create this self-fulfilling artificial intelligence problem. Uh, and in cyclical learning envi environments, when you use a, a model to train the next model and the next generation of the model, and et cetera, et cetera, you're going to create some systemic issue where, where it's never going to go away. Um, so I, I don't agree with that. Uh, um, and we work with Space Force. We work with, with, uh, with them in the Air Force. And so um, we're, we're hopefully some of the help that's going to ultimately get them to a point where um, you know, they'll feel comfortable developing and, and deploying again. Um, you know, th there's a lot to consider, uh, and, and there's organizations, both federal and commercial, that have a thousand different use cases for machine learning, and they're engaged in all of them in production today. And so some of them are highly critical, uh, like, you know, satellite communications and, and some of the potential, like, space warfare issues that they're up against. And then some of them are like, you know, I don't have to pay a content creator now because ChatGPT did it for me. So um, in the, some of the critical use cases that they're, that they're up against, I think it's great to, to be very... Uh, um, intentional and deliberate about you know what you want to be there in terms of guardrails before you move forward. But I think setting an arbitrary amount of time to to stop and not innovate in that while you think about it on one side is silly. Um, I, I think that that's uh, um, not going again. You know some of, and, and you know who's Space Force's comp competition? It's other countries that are trying to get in. I mean, I don't think that that's what they're doing. So um, you know there, there's 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 ways to go about that but yeah I, I've I saw a little bit about it and I've seen other organizations call for that as well um, personally I think that there's too much fear on the AI is going to take over the world side um, you can just look to hardware to know that that's not going to happen anytime soon um, you know if, if we don't have the hardware for a generative AI solution to spin up a generative AI solution so um, the biggest threat is still people it will be for a very long time it will be for our lifetimes um, and so until you know quantum catches up and we can start doing more on the hardware side and um, and you know, I, I still think that we have a little bit of a lift there. We, we currently only have like four companies in the race to buy all the GPUs that are out there today, and so and they're still trying to have more created and find better ways to come up with those. And so, uh, I think that's our limiting factor in terms of how far these things go. So, I, I would never suggest anyone stop in, stop innovating. Um, and part of if, if if we and it sounds like we might be competitors, but but if if we're doing our jobs correctly, we're actually helping accelerate that innovation because our customers can take more risks. They can deploy models where they wouldn't have otherwise felt safe deploying them. They can get that data and interaction, and then you know that 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 will allow for these things to move forward. So um, it's it's not something I would advise. Okay. Great question, thank you. The SEC is uh, recently investigating the CISO at SolarWinds, yeah. and um, initially we all were like, "Yay, that needs <laughs> to happen!" And, you know, look what happened, Uber, and you know, we're all yeah. us and because finally we're getting some recognition. But then we started sitting back and really looking through the pages. I want to know what your thoughts about that mm -hmm. um, are because you know we need some accountability. Yeah. But do we need to put someone in jail? I, I'm kind of back and forth on that. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts about it. I, I, I totally agree. Their own. Yeah. I just wanted to hear what your thoughts were because you're dealing with now a, a group that is in AI. And they're yeah. going to be far more pro progressive as I, they move forward. 
Yeah, I think in the in the cases of Uber and SolarWinds, and actually I think there's there's three now total on the CISO side. I think and like I would be very I would I would put the bucket of they didn't do their job very well very different from the bucket of they committed fraud. Um, I think I think because some of the accusations and I don't know what what's true and what's not and I've met uh, both of them, um, so I so I have a little bit of a relationship. Not not they don't they won't know who I am, but um, but uh, I think if like there's there's accusations of fraud uh, where. Um, you had, you know, examples of it in some cases where CEOs need to be held accountable as well, because in a lot of these cases, in fact, even the judge that that convicted the uh, the Uber CISO said, "I wish the CEO was on the stand as well, because I would be uh, convicting him as well." And and so I think that uh, that certainly is is part of the chain of command. Like I, I think that um, some CISOs have sort of taken the the stand that like or taking the position. Uh, that um, you know, sometimes their job is to get fired. Um, sometimes their job is to be there when something goes wrong, and, and that kind of you know, the, I think the life of the, the average life of the CTO is like 14 months, right? So like it's just it's a it's a difficult position. But when we start getting into this legal area, I think if you commit fraud to and 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 mislead your shareholders or your employees or the public, like jail's probably the right place to go. Um, but but I think if you just didn't do your job that well, like that's I don't think we should be calling for criminal punishments in that case. I think we should just you know, get better people in those positions. And there are a lot of better people out there in those positions. And I think CISOs, it's kind of like the NFL, like where like, you know, you see the same like 40 people going after the same 32 jobs, like in that role, like <laughs> there's some really great people that haven't had a shot that have been kind of coming up through these areas that would probably do really well in those roles. I would like to see a little bit more of that. Um, but uh, but generally speaking, I think for the for the fraud, um, if, the, if, the, if that proves true and they get their day in court and, and that proves true like it did in, in the Uber case, like that's, that's a crime that I think merits a, a position or like a penalty like that um, because there's some some active misleading going on and, and then the question from that case came like did it really come from him or was it the CEO and there's some there's some sort of uh, um, complexity to that role which I don't I don't know very much about or to that issue that I don't know much about um, but yeah I think I think uh, jail for solar winds because it didn't go very well like I think that's overkill personally um, because that was that's just a, a um, like a capability question and like was the person doing the right things that they should have done? The answer was no, according to you know the accusations. And um, but yeah, in the cases of fraud, because as a CISO, you do have a lot of um, opportunity to really tell the story of what happened, and and you know there's there's a lot you have to be accountable for. And if you mislead someone into saying you know I, I set us up for this even though I didn't or something along those lines, then just like you would for somebody like in the Enron type scenarios and, and the others where they're misleading others for the sake of shareholder value, like I think that's fraudulent. I think that's a crime. That, that's my take. The regulation is just lagging yeah. on all this stuff, oh, right? Oh, it's way behind. And when we, yeah. we built our policymaking framework, yeah. there was no internet, yeah. there was no AI, yep. there was no crypto. You right. know, we're seeing the same thing in crypto. It's like the whole thing's kind of come and gone. Like right. they, they, they totally balked on the <laughs> regulation. Yeah, we, we, we never had a rule in place. Yeah. You, know, not, you know, not taking it out, but like this SBF guy's like, right. you know, kind of they're like, oh, we're doing something about it now. It's like, oh, like that's <laughs> yeah. very retroactively. Um, and it just feels yeah. like, yeah, there needs to be a fundamental shift in the way we oh, regulate yeah. these things. We, I agree. we could do another hour on that. I mean, like, I know, I know. It's, it's like uh, now we're getting to the good stuff for yeah, a lot of time. Well, yeah, <laughs> it, it's a tough one because I think it's, a, you know, just, just my quick two cents on that is, is, is still hold it to the same standards we do other things that, like, that we've already got some, 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 uh, some pieces here. But, like, you know, you you have your scenarios like where you know a lot of our Congress people are having trouble turning their devices on and making up laws on on artificial intelligence and some of this stuff and, and they generally go to some of the big tech groups which is great but they should also go to some of the startups and go to some places like Capital Factory and right. go to some and I think you guys are doing a fantastic job of that by the way but but few, not everybody is right yeah. Come here, yeah, yeah. You, you absolutely have it and so I think that that's something that I would like to see more influence from. 
uh, at the at the state and and, uh, and federal level uh, to start dealing with some of these issues. Do you think an AI will ever uh, be elected to office? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, like, not as a joke, like as a real. Yeah. Like, like one could get. Well, it might be a today. joke, but like actually yeah. happening. No, that could happen now. Like, I think I think that's uh, like the question is. Um, I think if you, it, it certainly could, and people wouldn't know that it was one. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, there's a lot of politicians that I've had the opportunity to vote for that I never saw in person, and if it was deep fakes and scripts and and generally generated conversations, like there's not a lot stopping that from happening today. It could have already uh, happened. Exactly. I mean, I, I think know. that there's some some major concerns uh, on the on the deep fake side and on the both on the, the audio and video side. Um, so I, it's it's in the cards. Yeah. Uh, it really is. Um, I I I, uh, I hope not, but. Uh, um, although it, it might do a better job than some of them. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's that too. In, in theory, right? Right? in theory, I think it could do a fantastic job. Yeah. Um, but that, that's great. And maybe, yeah, that's the next uh, podcast we'll, we'll do with there you. you. But yeah. everyone, join me in thanking Chris Aceto oh, from Hidmeyer for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Austinpreneur. Don't forget to check out capitalfactory.com to learn more about us and join our community. If you have thoughts about the show or ideas on how we can work together, reach out to me directly via email, nickspiller at capitalfactory.com. Shout out to the Capital Factory Dream Team for making this podcast possible and special thanks to Aaron Handworker who masterfully recorded and edited the show. Come back next week for a whole new episode.